Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favourite people who are advocates of children and nature and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Welcome to another Play It Forward Worthy podcast. Um, We're here with another amazing advocate of children and play. Um, We've started in the office, we've started calling them playmakers. So we're here with another amazing playmaker, um, Daniel Burton, all the way from Western Australia via Zoom. Um, he's the director and co-founder of Educate by Nature. Bit of a bio, Daniel is a qualified primary school teacher, an education consultant and a passionate nature connection mentor. He considers himself an advocate for connecting children with the natural world, following children's inbuilt sense of wonder and curiosity as a vehicle to inspire the process of inquiry-based learning. He is passionate about empowering children and providing ethical opportunities, or sorry, not ethical, they need to be ethical, but they need to be authentic opportunities for them to grow mentally, physically, socially, and emotionally. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. And a little preface to that, Daniel is also ukulele level one, (laughs) James Hill Institute master. So we'll be cracking out Uh, that later on. Thanks, Lucas. No worries. Good to be here. What a humbling introduction. Thank you for that. Um, so as an overview um, in this podcast, all we want to do is create really good snippets for our listeners to take away, be it the families listening out there or the educators. Um, and I think that's where we are kin spirits from the other side of Australia, um, just trying everything we can to get children outside and have that authentic experience. We're always going Absolutely. on constantly about the wonder of children, the wonder of childhood. And um, our team came up with that phrase, not came up, but found the term wonderment, which just keeps coming up and up again, which is great. Um, yeah. So we kick it off in a certain way every single time um, with all of our guests to get in the flow of play. Um, so where did you play as a child, Daniel? Ah, great question. Um, and this is actually a really interesting one um, because um, as a, a play advocate and as, um, yeah, a, a nature pedagogue, um, it's my role to support play and connection with nature um, in children. And I, as a child, actually didn't have that a connected um, childhood. Uh, I grew up in a um, suburb here in Perth uh, with a family that um, I think linked into that idea of uh, there are lots of dangers out in the world. So my boundaries were basically the, the front yard um, and the, the letterbox. So my play opportunities as a child were backyard, front yard, um, and with friends that came into that environment. Although um, learning to ride a bike, well, late in life, um, I got some more freedom as a uh, kind of a middle primary age child. And big memories that stand out are when I used to ride to a friend's house, which was same suburb, but a couple of streets away. And to get there, I could ride past a creek uh, in my in my local suburb. And finding um, from early on on those bike rides, going 
just straight to my friend's house and then noticing that creek more and more and actually stopping off, um, taking some time to check out that creek and then starting to explore that creek a little bit more. One of my favourite memories that comes out of that is uh, going down to that creek with my friend, climbing across what I thought was a pretty stable um, log or tree falling over the creek and uh, falling in <laughs> and then absolutely freaking out. Um, but then realising that I could stand up and it was only actually ankle deep. Um, but just that uh, realisation of, oh, I'm here playing by myself or with a friend, but there aren't any parents around. Yeah. And that's okay. And it's with that joy and that, that, um, that freedom that I experienced, I think I got the opportunity to really see the value of play. And the accomplishment um, so, of coming out the other side alive. Yeah. And I, I survived yeah. falling off this massive log, which was probably just a tiny tree. Um, yeah. But so I think I take a lot of um, the purpose of my work and the passion for getting kids outside from growing up, not necessarily having those experiences and seeing now as an adult, how important they are and going, there are lots of children who their front yard is their boundary, is their, yep. is their outside world. Um, and that we as adults need to support that um, boundary to grow yeah. um, and to develop. And the shrinking front yard. The, absolutely. Yeah, definitely shrinking front yard and you know, non-existent backyard and, and concrete jungles that exist. Um, so it's even more important now to find those natural spaces around our suburbs. Um, one other example of play that really stands out for me was um, entering my teen years uh, my uncle, who was a, a very important play advocate in my life and, and supported uh, pushing those boundaries and, and exploring the edges. Um, he took me on what I now know was a bit of a rites of passage exploration into natural spaces um, and took me on a, like a two-day trek. And it was just in, in, the, um, in the spaces around where Nanga Bush Camp are in Dwelling Up here in Western Australia. And when I look back at the spaces that he took me, the car park was probably 300 meters away from where we actually camped. But the journey that he took me on was over, under, through, and it took a whole day. So yeah. I had this, uh, this idea that we were like in the middle of nowhere. Um, and that opportunity to explore that with a trusted mentor was absolutely crucial in my formative years. Um, and the playfulness of um, finding rabbit holes and, and hearing things scratching around the tent in the night and, um, yeah, making food by a, a stream and, and sitting around a campfire, those are the things that are, stand out for me as the formative play opportunities of yeah. my um, early teen years. And the experience that it, for someone that hasn't done that before, it's just so vastly underrated to embrace that simplicity and, and sit in it. And we, we talk about it so, so much, but to, you can't even convey that experience of, yeah. uh, and simplicity of like sitting 300 meters away from a car park and that being yeah. enjoy. I got to check in with that recently with the backyard camp out, um, yes. which just kicked yep. off all across Australia and just to check in with that. And I was like, here I am in my backyard and I could not be happier. And camping out here with my kids, having a fire, checking out the stars. And it was yep. really good to reground in that and have that reminder. 
Um, just to rewind a bit, you skimmed over it there, but we're going to go into it. And we're also going to go into the rite of passage because that's something I'm super interested in and I'm sure it will help our listeners a lot. Um, but your parents being protective, um, what do you think was the main causes of that fear? Um, uh, I was the third of three children. Um, so I was the baby of the family. Yep. Um, so that, that, that last child in the family, uh, there, there's quite a gap between me and my middle brother. So I was kind of that, um, almost a firstborn again. Yep. Um, so I played an interesting role in my family. I think that, um, that perception of danger and fear that exists in society and it's even more so now. Uh, so, I mean, we're talking 25 years ago that this um this story exists yes um and today that that fear is even more so um and we've got families and parents who are hearing those stories on the news that come up again and again and again um i know uh, griffin longley at nature play wa talks about it as uh his his term he says parents are marinated in fear and mm -hmm. i really love the visualization that that gives you that um, those uh, scary things that happen in our community and not to take away from them, they do happen. Uh, but those scary things that happen get told to us over and over and over and over again. Um, so we have that story repeated to us in many different formats on many different mediums. And so it tends to feel a little bit more um, like it's right next door, like it's right down the street and the, the chances of it happening to our children is um, increased. Yeah, 100%. And it's only increasing and that's we're living in that time of reaction and with heightened um, sensitivities for safety at the moment, it's there. Um, I mentioned in your intro that you're the director and co-founder of Nurture by Nature. Um, in your own words, can you ex describe to our listeners two things, how it came to be? and mm -hmm. what you're all about. Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm a primary school teacher by trade uh, and I had the absolute pleasure of working at a local primary school here called Bold Park Community School. It's an alternative Reggio-inspired uh, nature-based school. Uh, I was a primary school teacher um, teaching uh, pre-primary year one and uh, year four, five, six over the over 10 years that I was at Ballpark um, and was responsible at Ballpark for starting up the Wild Space outdoor classroom. So our then principal, uh, Gillian McAuliffe, came to me um, at the end of one year and, and gave a challenge for the next year and said, I challenge you to take your uh, 456 class, so your class of year 456s, outdoors two days a week, to have an outdoor classroom for two days a week, to not use the indoor class, but to do everything out in the wild space. Um, and at first that was uh, quite daunting, but as the, uh, as the year started and we presented it to the kids as an opportunity, the students, um, they absolutely loved the concept and it just became just the most amazing learning environment. So we had a lot of children in our class who uh, either were on the autism spectrum, um, had ADHD, suffered from anxiety, um, a whole heap of things that got in the way of their learning. And what we noticed when we took them out outside into this outdoor classroom, those things seemed to dissolve away. 
or their barrier for learning dissolved away. So they came out of their shell. We saw sides of learners of these students that we'd never seen before and their confidence spiked. Yep. So we did that for three years um, as educators in this class, um, taking the kids outside. And then um, passion took hold and I decided to step away from teaching and um, move into a, a world of getting this message spread wider. So showing more people the absolute benefits of learning outdoors and connecting with the natural world and the way it supported students. So uh, myself and my co-teacher, Trudy Bennett, um, we both stepped out of the classroom, stopped teaching and decided to start up Educated by Nature, which was a massive leap of faith, um, quite scary at the time. But uh, I, yeah, I don't look back um, and I'm so glad we did it. So then we started up Educated by Nature as an organisation to support us getting the message of outdoor learning and nature-based learning out there. What was interesting is our initial plan was to work with teachers and in schools. But um, what happened first was lots of parents uh, were calling for support in getting their kids outside. So we set up a bunch of nature play groups, which were two hour sessions with zero to five year olds down at local um, yep. parks and local bush bases and supporting them to see the benefit of getting their kids outside, allowing risk, uh, using tools, um, looking at storytelling and just exploring nature and standing back and letting their kids take the lead. And then that morphed into us uh, providing opportunities for older kids. So primarily the work we do now is uh, school holiday programs for six to 12 year olds. And it's a whole day outside using tools. We tinker, we build cubbies and shelters, rafts. We light fire, we cook, um, yeah, we basically spend time outside uh, and then an after-school club program uh, in different schools around Perth, um, as well as incursions and um, some public speaking engagements. But that's become, yeah, the passionate life force that, that drives us. That's fantastic. I can relate to that journey being an educator, transferring yeah. on. Um, it looked like one thing morphed into another thing, morphed into another thing. Um, and I must backtrack and apologise. In my notes, I just wrote nurture by nature and then I referred to you by nurture by nature, not educate by nature. So <laughs> That's all right. backtrack on that. Um, but you mentioned so many points. It's like you're cheating off my questions here. Um, <laughs> so you mentioned about the challenges of parents and seeing that um, the original idea for educate by nature was to just support parents um, to overcome the challenges. So... Um, what are those challenges that you see are the necessary to overcome? Yeah. Uh, so definitely initially our nature playgroups were an opportunity for us to hold the hand of parents as they held the hand of their children getting outdoors. Mm -hmm. um, what we noticed is the generation of parents, so parents with um, zero to five-year-olds that were coming to our nature playgroups were parents who didn't necessarily have nature connected opportunities themselves as kids yeah so they themselves didn't necessarily feel comfortable getting outdoors sitting in a muddy puddle um sitting on uh, a patch of kind of grass kind of mud um yeah being aware and okay with creepy crawlies and spiders and the potential of snakes um and just being outdoors generally so 
providing that opportunity to hold their hand and be an expert um, providing that opportunity kind of gave a safety net for them to do it with their children. Um, the other element was um, simply logistics. So we were the ones who took out and set up a bunch of equipment and tools, a couple of tarps and mats. Um, yeah, and, and the stuff that the kids could interact with in these nature spaces where just getting out, out of the door with a two-year-old and a nappy bag um, and a snack and a drink bottle was a big enough struggle for a parent. Yeah. Um, and it is like getting out the door at nine, 10 o'clock in the morning. That's one of the struggles. So going to these natural spaces with other things to do was a level of um, complexity that we were able to take away from the parents to uh, enable them to connect more regularly with these natural spaces. Yeah. One of the things I observe is the complexity and the simplicity. So what I mean yeah. by that is, as a whole, to get your child organized, to do all of those things, to go and then do a very simple task. It yeah. can, it, I think a treadmill happens in the brain. It's like, well, there's a lot of moving parts in this. And when you step yeah. in as a facilitator and supply the simple thing, you're like, yeah. oh, we're here. We're doing it. And it always surprises <laughs> me how simple you have to make it. And that's what I want our listeners to really reflect on. It doesn't have to be these huge, big events you don't need a lot of yeah. space. Just keep it really simple and embrace the simple. And off air, we were yeah. talking about the foundation of all of this and that comes down to forming that relationship first and foremost. And I think what you, in your description there, what you've really successfully done is created the space as in not just physical space, but the time for that foundation yeah. of the relationship to have that acknowledgement and significance. So um, how do you nurture? And I know you're passionate about building relationships. So what's your approach there? Uh, so here at Educated by Nature, we follow um, the work of the Eight Shields Network um, yep. in America. Um, so Eight Shields Institute um, is all about deep nature connection uh, and they run a whole heap of different programs, but they talk at their core about um, three-way connection, connection with self, connection with community and connection with nature. And it's that triad that needs to exist for us to, I guess, to feel um, whole and to feel fully connected in our lives. Uh, so it's about providing those opportunities, as you say, of that simplicity and that time space to connect, that is important. Um, so in those playgroups, for example, we, we brought those three elements together. Uh, we brought the community so it was the play group there were there was more than a handful of parents and kids there so there was opportunity to connect with community um there was opportunity to connect with nature obviously because we were in it um and then that in itself gives not only the parent but also the child the opportunity to connect with self and in that stillness and that space and that time when we're looking outward we also have the opportunity to look inward as well yeah, and explore our own self and our own reactions to the space. To to strip that all down into a very simple action plan that maybe an educator or a parent could have, as a like maybe it's a mother's group, maybe it's an educator doing something. What's your big top few points in achieve creating that space? Yeah, um, so I think it would be 
um, have a look at the space that you're gathering in. And it may be that um, as a group of parents or even a, a family group, you often go to where the playground is. Yeah. It could be as simple as changing that up and going to a patch of bush. So finding a space that's not your regular play space, but that's uh, a little bit different and um, just more simplicity in nature. Um, yep. I guess that would be one of my suggestions. And also just seeing that nature is everywhere, that it doesn't actually have to be down to a local park or a bushland. Where in your own home does nature exist? Could it be the, the ants crawling down like the sidewalk or the pathway? Could it be um, the insects that are on the, the flowers in your backyard? Could it be a pot plant that you have on a balcony? And that it doesn't have to be an extravagant adventure into nature. Yeah. That it could simply be noticing when nature exists as a way to connect with nature and self. Easy. Two takeaways. Embrace the space. And it doesn't have to be complicated back again. Yeah. We've come full circle to backyard camp out. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Excellent. And what, are, um, apart from the space, um, any other challenges that um, parents are struggling to overcome out there from your side? Um, I think there's, uh, it, it, it would come back to that idea of um, societal pressure. Uh, so, in a playground, the, the um, regular example that comes up is um, that parent that doesn't appreciate that you might let your child walk up the slide. Yeah. Um, and I guess judges. Um, Shame bombs. And makes comment. Exactly. Uh, so parents have to deal with that a lot in all aspects of their parenting. Uh, and it's a tricky thing to let that go. Um, so finding opportunities to, if you want to let your child climb and children need to climb, uh, and I'm a big believer that um, trees are screaming out for children to climb them. Um, and there are not enough children climbing trees. No. Uh, and the stats that there are more uh, children that get admitted to emergency department from falling out of beds than from falling out of trees yeah. scares so, me. Yeah, that's the scary <laughs> stat, isn't it? Yeah. I had a great um, experience on the weekend. No, oh, Friday. My wife and son, my son's climbing right up a tree and this old, older gentleman just stood by the bottom of the tree going, you can do it, little mate. You can do it. Keep going. And I was like, this oh, is that's amazing. fantastic. It was so good. See, that's, that's what we need. We need communities who are supporting that behavior yep. because too often there are parents standing by, um, yeah, looking down at those experiences. Yeah. So I feel that part of my role is an advocate in going, these experiences are okay yeah. and that they need to happen and here are all the benefits behind it. Um, and so we get a better understanding of why kids might be climbing a tree and what the benefits are. And then we support parents to allow them to allow their kids to do it. Because I think one of the biggest barriers to play and especially play in nature uh, are adults. Yeah. We get in the way a lot of children's play. Yeah. The um, big determinant is the available space and then permission. Hey, we need these experiences. 
And you touched on it there, climbing a tree. They need to be doing this. And it's a right. Yeah. It's a right. And that ties into that yeah. rite of passage as well. <laughs> it's a right to climb yeah. a tree. You have a right to get messy, to feel safe mm-hmm. and secure in your challenge. If I'm challenging myself, you don't have a right to come and dictate back to me my version of what's good and what's not. Yeah. And that's what we're facing, unfortunately. And you would see it time and time again being out there as that um, voice. Um, yep. Let's switch gears a bit. I really am interested and think it would offer great value to our listeners to go into um, your involvement with Rite of Passage um, and what that is. And for our listeners, if you could divine what a Rite of Passage is and why, that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. And I think they link. So exactly as you said, Ben, climbing a tree is a Rite of Passage. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been fortunate to do uh, a bunch of training with Anna Rubenstein, Dr. Anna Rubenstein from the Rites of Passage Institute, um, and seeing this way of needing to bring the concept of Rites of Passage back into our community. Now, a Rites of Passage, um, I guess in its purest form, is an acknowledgement of transition through phases. Um, uh, Anna's actually described um, what we're going through as a community at the moment with the pandemic of COVID-19 as being a global Rites of Passage. So um, a rites of passage has three basic elements to it. Um, It has uh, a separation. So where an individual or a community separates from their regular community. Um, There's the transformation element, which is what happens on a rites of passage or in a rites of passage experience, whether that be um, a camp or climbing a tree um, or what we're going through as a community at the moment. And then there's the return, the coming back to the community. Now, uh, most people who have heard of rites of passage before and have a little bit of understanding of it may uh, understand it as something that happens with teenagers into adulthood. And often it's, it's thought about from a male perspective. So young teenagers um, entering adulthood um, leave their, their community, they go out and do a camp, they have a transformative experience, they've got some elders with them that provide some wisdom and guidance and then they come back into community uh, and essentially are are deemed adults they've transitioned through that space i think i've seen that rites of passage framework um, applied to so many different elements of uh, life and of our community Um, so it's climbing a tree when we approach the idea of climbing a tree uh, i love a tree as a piece of play equipment because a tree naturally tells a child what they can and can't do, um, depending on their ability, depending on their physical and uh, physical ability and their courage level at that time. So how high they can climb depends on how um, dexterous they are, um, how confident they are with their physical movement. So approaching a tree is like approaching approaching a rites of passage, and then that child starts to climb has successes, has failures, overcomes uh, challenges, and then um, ends that climbing tree experience with more confidence, with more physical ability, with a new sound sense of themselves, lots of different um, elements of developing themselves as a person. Um, So simple act of climbing a tree can be a rites of passage. I think um, we run a lot of school camps uh, and, a school camp is almost a rites of passage in that 
a child, often the, the school camps that we're running are for primary school children. They're leaving their family, going uh, for a two or three night stay somewhere, having a whole bunch of experiences that challenge and challenge, challenge them. So they might be um, canoeing, they might be um, exploring in the bush, they might be just the simple act of sleeping in a tent or sleeping outside yeah. or sleeping away from home is a challenge in itself. And then they return to their family. One of the issues I think we have in our current society is that we don't do the return of a rites of passage well. As a community, we don't accept that changes happen and we don't welcome individuals or communities back from a rites of passage. So uh, schools that are on a camp, they might have a bit of a send-off from their parents. Uh, they all stand there where the bus is and they wave goodbye. Um, there's a celebration that, oh, like there's this anxiety and excitement about going on camp. But then when they return to school or to wherever they're dropping the kids off, kids get off the bus, they go to their parents, they go home. Yeah. There's not the Late, same celebration. Tired. Yeah. Exactly. 100%. There's not the same really sort of point. celebration and acknowledgement that these children have been um, on a new experience. Yeah. And we, as uh, parents, we think that, the, that these changes have to happen over a long time when yeah. change can bang. You, you have an experience as fleeting as it is that can change you forever. So why don't we hold it in the high esteem? Yeah. And I think it comes back to the way, um, the way we view children. And it comes back to that comment that you were saying um, that we need to see children as competent at every age. Yep. Uh, and we need to acknowledge that competence. I think that's one of the biggest fears that we have in a community is that we don't see the competence of our children. Um, so going back to the playgroups, one of my roles as a facilitator of that playgroup was to see the abilities of that child and make those abilities visible to the parent. My role as a facilitator in the programs we run for six to 12 year olds is to trust that child and to say, yeah, I trust you to use a carving knife, a saw to light fire. Um, and I'm going to step back and allow you to have that experience because I know that you are capable. Yep. And um, mentoring parents in that role of stepping back, I think is really important. Yeah. Um, and having that role of guide or mentor, I'll share a quick story here, um, which blew me away. Uh, it, it's about cooking sausages. So at our program in winter, we have a campfire and we teach the kids how to, how to light fire using flint and steel. And then they cook over the fire. In those programs, we cook sausages on a stick and I, as a facilitator, get the question from kids probably 300 times a day, is my sausage cooked yet? And the answer is that I, I give them is, what do you think? I tell them, okay, so you're looking for it to be brown. The texture needs to be kind of rubbery. If your finger leaves a, an indent, it's not cooked yet. So I give all of these opportunities. And by the way, you might want to lick your finger before you press your sausage because it's going to be hot. So I provide all these opportunities. Still, they come back, is my sausage cooked yet? Um, and it's kind of a rites of passage thing. And you get to the point where you go, well, you could try it. <laughs> Is it cooked yet? Um, and put the question back on them. Anyway, after a, a week and a half of doing these programs and having so many Is My Sausage Cooked Yet questions, we ran a program for parents and their three and four-year-olds where we did the same activity. We gave the kids and their parent a sausage on the stick. Um, they put it over the fire and they started to cook it. 
And one of the parents came to me and said, Daniel, is my sausage cooked yet? And I thought they'd heard me telling the story of all the sausage cooked yet stories that I'd had from the week and they were pulling my leg, but they were actually serious. They were asking me whether their sausage was cooked yet. Now, I'm pretty certain that that parent had cooked sausages before. So had an understanding of what a sausage, uh, what a cooked sausage looked like, what a cooked sausage felt like. But on reflection, in that moment, that parent was in a space of, um, I guess, rites of passage of um, new learning. They hadn't made fire before themselves and they hadn't actually cooked on an open fire. Plus they hadn't let their four-year-old cook on, a, on an open fire yet. So they were in a space of fear around a lot of things. Now that fear is okay um, because it's through fear that we often learn, but that step of going, is my sausage cooked yet was just a step too far for them. And as the expert, as the person holding the knowledge and the information about how to light fire, how to cook on the fire and support their four-year-olds, I played that role of mentor even to the parent. Yeah. So what at first was like, oh my goodness, you're not serious. You're asking me if your sausage is cooked became the realization of, wow, even as adults, we need to be told um, and we need to be given the opportunity to see ourselves as competent and capable. And if as parents, we need that, adults, we need that. How much more do we need to give our children that opportunity to say, yeah, you've got this. I trust you. Yeah. And um, my takeaway from that story with the parent, like we, as parents, we operate very um, non-multiple sensory, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like when we cook a sausage on the stove, we just look at it. And that's it. We don't need to. We, for, yeah. we forget we've got all of these other resources at our fingertips, literally, to be able yeah. to assess our environment and assess the outcome. But because we're just in this, the doing state all the time, we forget we've got these other tools in our toolbox. And then it comes down yeah. to Daniel to be chef sausage man <laughs> instead <laughs> of just use your fingers. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. I'm going to do that. And guess what I'm doing this weekend with my kids? Yeah. Campfire cooking sausages. Oh, sausages on sticks, right? A passage all day. Yeah. It might My take all day. My advice cut the sausage in half. Yeah. And then stick the stick in the cut's um, end because otherwise the skin catches and then you get sausage mess. Or oh, don't try that and then have a go and see what happens. <laughs> Research, a bit of R&D around the fire exactly. pit. That's awesome. Um, so where are we? Where are we? Um, thank you so much for that story. It just put so much in context. Um, so that's one thing we can look at. We've looked at the challenges of parents to overcome, but how about the how they overcome it? It's easy to talk about. Yeah, we've got we've got reservations around fear, or we've got reservations mm-hmm. around the shame. So on. What's the dialogue and conversations you have with parents to get over it? Um, I would suggest uh, the experiences that you're, you're providing for your children or wanting your children to have, try them out yourself. So if it's about um, climbing a tree, try and climb the tree yourself. Like get in there and play alongside children um, and uh, use those opportunities to um verbally and out loud talk about the decisions you're making so if it's that you're at the 
park or you're at the playground um, and your child is wanting to climb that tree and there's onlookers that you're thinking are going to be um, judging, um, I would say like be really verbal to, the, to your child and have an opportunity to actually tell them which is actually telling the other parents the reasons why you're letting them climb the tree. And, oh my goodness, like how, uh, um, I'm so proud of you for giving that a go. And, oh, look at the way you're climbing there. I can see that you're putting your hands um, in different spots and you look really safe up there. Um, So over-verbalizing that may be a way to support those onlookers to understand your thinking. Um, I think on that, I'm going to jump in and say, we we try here at Educator by Nature to eliminate the word careful or the phrase be careful from all of our programs i know that's a big thing around the playwork community um because be careful disarms a child um and puts them in a heightened state of oh i need to be careful rather than using the language or how do you feel up there um or i can see that you're pretty high up um a, a friend of mine uses the concept of jaws music um as a parent so as an adult we see kids in dangerous or risky situations and the jaws music starts for us yeah it's about overcoming that jaws music in our head and going actually is this just um is this a concern i need to be worried about yeah or is it just me being overprotective um yeah it's the power of the pause isn't it if you're thinking instead of instead of reacting you go oh there's jaws music and it just allows us once again comes back to that space allows us a space to be able to take a breath and then respond opposed to react. Yeah. Nice. Jaws music. I'm going to recommend it. <laughs> like it. But yeah, that idea of, about what can parents do, I, I think the biggest thing is play alongside. Um, yeah, 100%. I yeah, agree. Climb a tree too. Use a tool yourself. Like sit down in that backyard and, and get messy and muddy yep. together. I hold the, um, what would you call it? It's a badge of honor that my daughter has instilled upon me. She calls me the children's adult. So anytime I go to like a family gathering, a barbecue or party, she's like, you're the children's adult. You need to come with us. (laughs) And I'm like, yep. Yep. Okay. (laughs) We're Uh, we're kindred spirits, Lucas. That's the role I play as well. (laughs) Even even as a child, even as a child. And that was my role, even with younger children, if we're having family gatherings, that was, that was me. So yeah. All day. Um, another thing that my fellow playmaker, being you, is well versed in <laughs> is creating in um, the outdoor classroom. So I'd love to touch on that in a few points. What's your main things that you think you need in an outdoor classroom for it to be successful? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think number one, it needs to be outdoors. I know that Check. sounds really simple, um, but I think there's a lot of hype around setting up outdoor learning spaces and outdoor classrooms but the outdoor spaces that you already have are perfect outdoor spaces for outdoor learning um we talk a lot about the simplicity of uh so teachers hopefully read to their kids often one of my favorite parts of school as a student and as a teacher was class book time so i always had a novel that i would read to my class take that novel and your kids outside yeah even if it's even if a lot of your school is uh, paved, there's going to be some trees somewhere. Find that tree and sit under it, and read that book under that tree. And that's simply 
the best way to get into um, outdoor classrooms and using the outdoors. I think um, involving, if you want to go a little bit more complex than that and take other lessons outside, it's about um, enlisting the support of your students to get equipment ready. So things like clipboards are excellent um, because they are a hard surface. So if everybody, if every child has a clipboard and is responsible for their clipboard, yep, you've got one there, then um, any space becomes a learning space. Yep. Obviously, you've got, your got desk, to do um, mobile desk. Nice handwriting. <laughs> yeah, it's a mobile desk. It's interesting, actually. When we, uh, so when Trudy and I first presented the idea to our then year four, five, and six class, upper primary class, that we were going to have an outdoor classroom for two days a week, their initial questions were, but where, we will, where will we sit? Where will we store like our stationery and where are the PowerPoints? So it was interesting that they had the preconception of what a classroom was. Yeah. So I think we need to re, um, reimagine that and to talk about them as outdoor learning spaces rather than outdoor classrooms. Yeah. Um, but get the kids on board too and get them thinking about how they could use different spaces. Um, and then I would say outdoor classrooms, outdoor learning spaces, just outdoors is an awesome inspiration for learning. Um, so simply going outdoors to start an investigation, to have a conversation, to start the introduction of a lesson, to do, um, yeah, to do a wrap up, any part of, um, just talking through things, I think is a really great way to get outdoors. Yeah, that's awesome. So what I'm hearing there is it, you can have that diversity of complexity. It can be something as really simple as sitting under the tree, but then it also the same environment offers the capacity to do something quite complex. So you kind of, yeah. in true nature sense, not restrained by what you can do outside. Um, yeah. And if you want to do what you do inside, outside, you can do that. But you can also yeah. do what you can only do outside, outside. So more diversity yeah. in learning experience all the way. Please, 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 and please. And I think also one of my biggest uh, piece of, uh, pieces of advice is look for those spaces in your school that are usually out of bounds Ooh, because yes. they are the spaces that are going to be so diverse and also they're the spaces that are going to catch children's energy yeah. because I can guarantee that that patch of trees down at the end of the oval that's out of bounds during most of the school day is the places that all the kids make a beeline for at the end of the day. Yeah. So if you utilize that space as a learning space, you've already got their passion and there's that excitement of, Oh my goodness, we're going to the out of bounds zone. Yeah. I worked with a, a class at North Fremantle primary school um, and we set up a learning environment in their out of bounds space yep. and the kids reveled in the fact that each friday we were going to the out of bounds zone the best. to do learning that's to the you're wonder activating yeah you're activating opportunity for learning right there you're opening up those um, neural pathways yeah there's a there was a school in brisbane and when they introduced the year i forget what it was was it year six or going into high school um mm -hmm. they found the well-being generally of that grade was quite heightened and they were seemed very nervous because the state of it they actually got a area of bush near the car park and just said no that's their zone because it's where they were kind of found refuge anyway so they said awesome. okay well that space is only for that grade now 
and they just yeah. had some loose parts type of stuff there and the well-being and the interaction and the overall benefits of just allowing that car park space essentially for those children yeah. was and and that rolled onto the school they're saying well if that helped that grade where else yeah. is this opportunity so great great stuff um I think I have one bit of advice there, Lucas, yep. about using spaces that are usually there for play yep. um, or that the children naturally um, uh, migrate to is that um, teachers need to be aware that if they're transforming what that space's use is um, and they're taking that into a learning area, there needs to be a transition time. Definitely. So, um, I mean, yeah, science tells us that it takes us about 10 to 20 minutes to readjust to a new location before we're ready for learning. So whether it's to do with um, the amount of light, the wind, the temperature, the pressure, um, the textures in the space, all of those things, the sounds, uh, our brain takes time to readjust and to become open to learning opportunities. The children are going to need that plus an adjustment for the fact that they're used to playing in that space. So play still needs to be an element of the learning that happens, which I think makes sense anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but something to be very conscious of. Good, good point. Yeah, we ha we work quite hard to when we're doing a renovation of a pl uh, play space into a learning environment. Still trying to get the learning environment mindset to catch on as a norm would be great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But when we do the transfer, we actually work with the staff to say, okay, well, we're going to focus on this area. We're going to really support the reframing in this zone. And yep. it's going to be with repetition. And we're going to play as we intend in these space and they reframe. And guess what? The science doesn't lie. And it actually works. And they're like, I can't believe how calm it is over here. It was like chaos before. Yep. And you're just using their physiology for their well-being. Yep. And, and, and their physiology is a part of nature. So embrace it. Absolutely. Um, so what is, what's your number one go-to favorite activity as an introduction to getting a child outside more? Oh, that's a great question. Number one introduction to get a kid outside. Yeah, because I know you do these little like incursions and the holiday programs where you've got a lot of little lessons but I'm sure yeah. you've got one that you see pop up and you go, oh yeah, that one. <laughs> um, one thing we do a lot of, and it comes from the H Yields Institute, so from Nature Connection Movement, is called a sit spot. Yep. Um, and it's about finding stillness. It's about um, doing a sense meditation to kind of ground yourself in the, the space that you are and then opening your ears up to hear the quietest sounds that you can hear in a space. And that one does wonders for connecting kids with the out outdoors. Um, and um, you were saying that idea about that frenetic energy and then that stillness and calm, that helps to do that. So enabling space for energy movement uh, and energy use first, and then dropping into what yeah we call a sit spot is yeah. really, really helpful for engaging and getting kids um, comfortable and connected with the outdoors. Yeah. That um, eight shield sounds amazing. We'll make sure we get the reference to that and put it in the show notes yeah. as well. Because um, it sounds Excellent. like they've got a lot, a lot of good value there. Um, finally, what are you most excited about that is happening in your field, in your world right now that you want to share? There's a lot that I'm excited about. There is a lot. Uh, it feels like this is a thing like with the nature play, nature development, it's been like, 
a bit of a grind and it feels like we're yep. getting to the critical mass tip at the moment. It feels like, oh, yep. we're, we're getting there. I think, I think this is becoming a thing. It's exciting. Yeah. I think um, seeing things like uh, schools acknowledging the benefit of nature and play yep. is exciting. Seeing more teachers, um, seeing the possibility and the potential of their outdoor spaces, I think is really exciting. Yep. Uh, and yeah, I think seeing more people outdoors and seeing the benefits. So um, yeah, the, so the big backyard camp out that happened last weekend, Huge. seeing the amount of people that are happy just to set up a tent in their backyard, a swag on their balcony or, or whatever it was and get outdoors. Um, we're so lucky here in Australia. We've got such a rich environment on our doorsteps. Yeah. Um, that to see more and more people using that is really important. Yeah, 100%. I'm getting so fulfilled seeing so many people just move for the, through the neighbourhood. I was like, I didn't know yeah. there were so many children. This is amazing. And families as, yeah. a, as a unit moving through nature as well. It is yeah. exciting times. It is. Um, also, we haven't mentioned that you also have a podcast. So do you want to tell, us, tell the listeners where they could check that out find it Go. yeah absolutely uh so we're on apple podcasts and on soundcloud um you can also get to it from our website www.educatedbynature.com uh we trudy and i were lucky enough um a few years ago to do a study tour around the us and we visited a whole heap of nature-based uh, playgrounds um yeah nature-based education organizations and we interviewed a bunch of people on that tour uh, and made what we call campfire conversations, um, which is yeah a video blog and a, a podcast with some awesome people all around the world. Awesome, well done, and that's why we had you on today. You offer great value, and we're going to see more children outside because of you and what the work you're doing. So I hugely appreciate that. I look forward to keeping this ball rolling, chatting more, seeing how we can help all people out there um, with getting children outside. So. From the bottom of my heart, from the whole Worthy team, thank you so much for the work you do and thank you for joining us on the Play It Forward podcast. Oh, you're absolutely welcome, Lucas. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thanks for joining us on another Play It Forward Worthy podcast. That was the playmaker, Daniel Burton from Educated by Nature. Thanks for joining us. All notes from our conversation you'll find below in the show notes. Um, we look forward to another conversation with you soon. <laughs>